Good, uh, good morning, everybody. It's kind of funny. I, uh, I've been saying, like Daddy said, that everything is ATW after the wedding. And, um, but the first, uh, first six months or so that uh, we moved to Lancaster, um, I had a, a different expl um, explanation for ATW. Um, we were um, uh, renting, it was so generous, I, I'd say almost house-sitting, a house for uh, Rose and Ronnie Mackey, who uh, uh, are at Fort Kill Baptist Church and often go to uh, Brazil. You may have know the Mackeys. And uh, they were going to be gone for two years and needed someone to stay in their house, and we needed a house, and they had furniture in their house, and we didn't have really any furniture. <laughs> so it worked out good. So we stayed out at Fort Kill for two years. And uh, so we had drive back and forth into town on 903. And somebody told me, he said, well, um, there's this little place there right on 903. You need to stop and, uh, and get a bite to eat. So we said, okay. So one day we pulled into Sambo's. And um, we pulled up there. And um, uh, we were, once we pulled in, we, we kind of sat in the car trying to decide if we were actually going to go in or not. <laughs> and while we were talking, a gal came up to the, to the door. And we didn't realize until then that this was a, you could just pull up, and they'd come out and get your order. I don't know if they still do that, but um, she said, uh, "She said, what do y'all want?" And we didn't even know what kind of place it was. We said, "Well, can we see a menu?" She had a really big laugh, and went back inside and came out with a piece of paper that was a little grimy, but uh, it had the list of you know all the sandwiches, and and there was a price, and then there was another price, and it said ATW. So. This time she didn't stop her laughing. She laughed out loud and we, when we asked, well, what W uh, next to this hamburger? And she said, well, that means all the way. <laughs> and, uh, and then the third thing we had to say was, what is all the way? <laughs> she said, that's with everything. And so uh, anyway, that was, uh, we felt very foreign uh, 22 years ago. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe ATW is just too fancy for uh, the, way, the way we grew up. But uh, anyway, so um, that has nothing to do with our lesson today. But uh, anyway, I, there you go. Uh, so we are in um, Joshua chapter 7. So when we were last in Joshua, uh, Daddy talked about uh, the battle of Jericho. And this was, uh, we heard of God's faithfulness to really uh, deliver there. And the the... The big idea is that the people heard God's command about what to do, how to do it, and even though the commandments were a little strange as far as military advice was concerned, they followed God's command and God gave them the victory. So today we're going to hear actually kind of a lot of opposites today. So um, here we hear a different story. We, instead of obedience bringing victory, we're going to hear about how disobedience uh, led to defeat. So um, this is the story of Achan. A-C-H-A-N. This is the story of Achan. And things do not start off well, and we'll see that in the very first verse of <coughs> chapter 7. Now, uh, I'm probably going to read most of the chapter. I may read all of it. depends on how it goes. Um, it's kind of lengthy, so I may skip around, but it, you'll, get the, you'll get the gist of the story. So in verse 1, it says, But the people of Israel broke faith. And you know it's going to go badly from here, right? I mean, we've, 
we've been around our Old Testament a few times, and we know this is not going to go well, and um, we'll just see how it plays out. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So this is the topic sentence. This kind of tells you what happened. Now we're going to backtrack, and we're going to hear the story about uh, how the next town set up for conquest was this town called Ai. So Jericho, Jericho, check, we've got that one. Where we're heading next, we're going to Ai. So uh, as the story plays, uh, Joshua takes the typical form. He sends out spies to Ai. Uh, they survey the land, and they say, well, this is a much smaller place. It doesn't look heavily defended. And they come back, and they say, you know, you don't have to have everybody go up this time, right? Uh, a lot of people can just stay home. Let's just send two or 3,000, um, and, you know, we can handle it. And in verse 4, it says, so 3,000 men went up from there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai killed 36 of their men and chased them away, basically. So they go up there, and they get spanked. They get sent on their way. People die. Um, this did not go like Joshua predicted. Now, there are several things that you don't read in this story that you did read in the capture of Jericho. Uh, there were a lot of conversations between uh, God and Joshua about what you need to do. There, were, there was advice. There was a battle plan. There was God's um, hand really all over this that was going to happen. And you don't hear any conversations with Joshua and God here. He's not praying for the battle. He's not following God's battle plan. He's just kind of going forward and doing what seemed to be reasonable, um, and it doesn't go well. And you might say, well, maybe it didn't go well because he didn't pray, he didn't follow God's command and everything, but we learned from verse 1 that the reason it didn't go well was because there was sin in the camp. And we're going we're gonna to hear more about that. Well, Joshua is confused. And verse 6 picks up with that. He tore his clothes, fell to the earth before the ark of the Lord, and basically says, God, what happened? Why did you let this happen? And in a statement that sounds a little arrogant, what are you going to do about it? He says this in verse 9. For when the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land, they're going to hear of this, will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? In other words, they're going to hurt us and it's going to look bad on you. So what are you going to do about it? Well, he gets brought up short very quickly. Verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. 
For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. So what are these devoted things? Well, we hear about this. If you flip back to chapter 6, verse 17, and these are part of the instructions about how the people are going to take Jericho. All right? All right, so here's, here's the instruction that God has given to Joshua, and Joshua is explaining. He says, And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. So everything within the is God's, and God says, I want it gone. Now, there are some exceptions, so we'll read about those. It says, Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing of destruction and bring trouble upon it. Here's the exception. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So, Everything within the city was going to be destroyed. It was devoted to the Lord for that purpose, except Rahab and her family, and except basically the precious metals, which back in those days included bronze, and iron, gold, silver. And then all of that was going to go into the temple treasury. Well, it wasn't a temple then, but into, into God's treasury. And, um, and he tells them, if you... If you Take some of these for yourself. There is going to you're going to bring destruction down upon upon everyone else. So he tells them ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. So these are the devoted things that are being referred to here. Now the rest of this section describes how God is going to identify the perpetrator, and it's going to be by lots. So he explains this to him, and um, we'll pick up the story in. The so Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken. So they cast lots, it fell to the tribe of Judah. And he brought near the clans of Judah. And the clan of the Zarahites was taken. So he narrowed it down from the tribe to the clans. The, clan, the lot fell on the clan of the Zarahites. And so forth to the, um, within that clan... Zabdi was chosen. And then from the house of Zabdi, a particular man was chosen, and that man was Achan. Verse 19, Joshua says to Achan, My son, this is, he's putting himself in a bit of authority over Achan, and says, Give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and now tell me what you've done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So um, he sends messengers. They go and find things just as he said. 
Shinar's, uh, some translations may say Babylon. Uh, and so they bring the uh, metals uh, up there and um, laid them down before the Lord and uh, before Joshua. And this is evidence, so to speak. And so Joshua collects everyone, verse 24, Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had and brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. They raised up over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. So here we have the story. So let's pull out a few things. Uh, in terms of general themes of this passage, um, I think you'll see several themes. One I've alluded to already. Um, this concept, Israel has sinned, they've broken the covenant. Um, how many times does this happen in Scripture? We see it time and again. Israel sins, they've had a covenant in place, they break it. Uh, thankfully, God offers a way of restoration as he did in this case. We'll see next week, reestablishes the covenant, as is typically the case. God takes the initiative with these things. Um, man breaks the covenant. God moves to restore the covenant, to restore relationship. I think you'll see another theme here, and that is relationship trumps genealogy. Achor was a member of probably the tribe, and certainly one of the most preeminent tribes, that is the tribe of Judah. He had prominence there. From the way you kind of read the text, and it almost seems that perhaps even his clan had probably some, some clout. It sounds like maybe everybody may have known who he was. Um, but that didn't matter. What mattered was he had broken fellowship he had broken relationship with God, and, and he, he was cut off. The contrast to that is Rahab. Rahab had no connection with Israel at all. But she had relationship. She made that confession of faith. She and her household were spared. And when it, in this section, she is included. When it says, when all Israel went to the valley of Achor, I'm sure Rahab said, okay, that's us. Let's go. We're now Israel. Relationship trumps genealogy. And we see this, um, you know, especially in Romans, uh, the difference between uh, old Israel and new Israel. And, and um, uh, that's certainly a big theme in this passage. There's another theme that um, is kind of strange to our ears. And when we hear about 
Rahab and her family being spared, we think that's all good, right? Rahab made a deal. She made the confession of faith. Her and her family were brought into right relationship with the rest of the nation. When we hear that through Achan's sin, his entire household was destroyed, we don't think that's fair. It doesn't. So we're very happy to take this corporate blessing for Rahab, but it seems strange to us to have this corporate destruction for Achan's family. Um, I don't really have this totally worked out. Um, and it's, it's really hard because our culture really highlights individualism, right? Um, we highlight the individual who's making their mark or whatever. We don't really highlight the <clears throat> individual who moves his whole family along or her whole family along. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's odd. Um, and also, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, we call ourselves Covenant Baptist Church for really kind of a narrow reason. The reason was that we said we're going to sign that we're going to be active members. We're going to sign a covenant. We're going to be members, and we're going to renew that covenant. But to most of the rest of the evangelical world, when you, if you were to call yourselves Covenant Baptist Church, um, in many people's ears, that's kind of a code word for somewhat of a Reformed Baptist point of view. Um, uh, where this concept of a covenant relationship is, um, is preached much more. Um, uh, the, they talk about the, the blessings that would go to, um, say, a man and his family, God's, God's grace on that whole family. And there's some interesting teachings there that, again, sound a little strange to us with our kind of individualistic Baptist ears. But um, uh, this is something that um, I think we could probably learn a little bit from some of our Presbyterian friends. Um, I think, again, I don't have it totally... Synthesized. I think there's truth uh, in both areas, but certainly there are large sections of the Bible that deal with covenant, and uh, it's important for us to kind of remember that uh, this is maybe a little bit of a weak area in Baptist theology that, uh, not that we ignore it or, or refute it, but we just haven't embraced it all that much because I think we, we've seen it lead to, you know, things like infant baptism is one of the places that it goes. So we might disagree with that, so therefore we kind of hold back from some of the other teachings of covenant. But anyway, that's one of the themes that I see in this passage. Um, also, uh, you guys have known that um, I've taken it as a challenge for the teachings that we've done in Joshua to say, okay, well, where's Jesus in this passage? All right? Where's Jesus in this passage? Do you, where do you see Jesus in this passage? You see, I see Jesus as standing right, right between us and what went on then. Okay. Because Jesus brought individualism to our lives. We are responsible to God. Our covenant 
is with God through Jesus. Okay. So, it, you know, if I sin, I hope God's not going to wipe void off. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, Jesus, I think, is definitely uh, in this passage. And I, I see it, um, I think, in the same way as, as you, um, I'd illustrate it uh, this way, that in Achan we see where one man's sin really brought destruction upon the whole nation, really. The whole nation was brought to defeat, was humiliated, was really scared. Um, his one sin brought that on his whole people. Well, that reminds me of Romans, where Paul talks about there was one man's sin, Adam, that brought destruction on everyone else. But the solution was the second Adam, where one man's righteousness, the second Adam, Jesus, um, therefore brought salvation to all of us um, that believe in him. And um, that's that's kind of where I see Jesus in this, kind of as a, uh, almost in a, a mirror or an opposite to what Achan did. The passage I'm referring to, if you want to jot this down, is in Romans uh, 6, verse 12. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there's no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those sin was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of his Christ abounded for many. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Um, so, one man destruction, one man um, salvation. Um, so, how do, we, uh, how do we apply this to us? Now, again, I'm not sure this applies greatly, but as I was reading this, um, there's something... Uh, and I was reading some of the background. Uh, something came to my head. Um, I know Mom and Daddy will uh, grin. Uh, in 1957, there was a Broadway musical, and in 1962, the year of my birth, um, a movie was made of this. And there was a very uh, popular um, uh, musical, and you may remember this song from that musical um, by uh, Robert Preston. He said, Oh, my friends, you got trouble, right? You got trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool, right? So Robert Preston, of course, comes into this Midwestern town and identifies the pool hall as the source of trouble and makes such a big deal about how horrible this pool hall is going to be, but he has the solution, right, because he wants to sell uh, band instruments, um, and create an alternative uh, so the kids don't, uh, don't get involved with all of the uh, horrors of the pool hall. Um, but you got trouble, right? Right here in River City. So, um, yeah, the, the Music Man was the uh, was a musical. Uh, a lot of great songs uh, from the Music Man. Um, I think when I was probably... 
six or seven, I got a cassette tape player for Christmas, which was kind of a novel thing back then. And uh, I got a tape with it to play, and it was the soundtrack to The Music Man. And I listened to that thing, because there weren't, you know, a lot of things. Um, and uh, so I've always liked The Music Man. But he kept talking about trouble. You got trouble, you got trouble, you got trouble. Well, that's actually what Joshua is saying here. I know you're wondering, how's this got to anything to do with it? <laughs> Look back to verse um, 25. Verse 24, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The trouble brings you, I'm sorry, the Lord brings trouble on you today. Well, the interesting thing is, is that the word trouble that he uses twice is called, is the word Achor. In the Greek? In the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, Achor. Acor, A-K-O-R, or whatever the equivalent of that is. Um, so he's basically, it's a play on words. You've got Achan going to Acor, the valley of Acor. So he's saying, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. You're going to the valley of trouble. You're trouble. Um, this... In effect, this alliteration um, uh, just really cemented that point home to the people that he was talking to. They would have easily picked up on the uh, wordplay there and uh, really um, really would have brought home that, that concept. And this Valley of Achor, uh, that name stuck. Uh, it's referred to in Isaiah. It's referred to in Hosea. Uh, this concept of the valley of trouble, something bad happened here. Uh, it may have been called that already, but it took on a whole new significance uh, when this man Achan, this man of trouble, uh, saw what God's trouble meant. And uh, so a little play on words there that I thought was, was interesting. Another point, um, to call your attention to Achan's confession, and here we see this classic progression of temptation to sin. Um, look back at um, verse 20. It's truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw that I coveted and I took. I saw, I coveted, I took. This sounds familiar, right? Genesis 3. When the woman saw that the tree was good, it was a delight to be desired, and she took of its fruit. We see it again in 2 Samuel. David arose, and he saw from a roof. He inquired about her, and then he took Bathsheba. Uh, classic progression of sin. I saw, I desired it, and I took it. Um, one thing that I haven't talked really about yet, but I think is really the gist of it for our thinking, um, is to consider what were the heart issues 
that Achan had with God that led him to do what he did, that led to his sin of coveting and greed. What were the real heart issues? A lot of this is perhaps a bit speculative, but what do you think was going on in his heart that led him to this? Because as we saw from that progression, eventually the sin happens in the heart before it happens in the hand. So what are some, what are some heart issues that you see in Achan? The way I read it, it is. So, what would happen to the whole family? Since he's seeing the whole family, it's possible to I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what his family, if his family had a, you know, thought different or whatever, but he made the sin, so it went for his whole family. That's but you got to remember, that's before Jesus. I understand that. I do understand I mean, that. You know, but that's leading up to Jesus. It is Because enough. we can't fail. I mean, human race. Can't break the covenants, and, and, and just they couldn't keep their part of the bargain. But in a way, now it's still the same way to, to an extent. You understand? Right. Just say like, uh, if I do something, then my boy might reap some of this. You know what I'm saying? Of whatever it could be, or Absolutely. My, my parents or grandparents or whatever. I mean, it's it's still the same except for the covenant with us and God. Sins of our fathers. We've visited on first generation and on into. Yeah, there's the. Uh, is that Genesis or Deuteronomy that, where it talks, it quotes, you know, the sins of the fathers will be visited down to the third and fourth generations. Right. And granted, that's an Old Testament verse, but I think we see that happen. Um, I think it's. I think it. It. Uh, goes beyond the, the covenants. I mean, there's a truthfulness there that we see. Um, yeah, I, th I agree with all of those things. Uh, the way I made my list was, I think he said, I know what's better for me than God does. I can take care of me better than God can. I can break God's rules and it won't hurt me. I can break God's rules and it won't hurt anybody but me if it does hurt me. My comfort is more than my relationship with God. 
So as I was thinking about this, I, I, I kind of pictured this very, very serious game of let's make a deal. So let's make a deal. You've got you know, your contestant, and typically they're offered a box or a curtain or whatever. They don't know a door. They don't know what they're picking, right? Do you want door number one, door number two? They don't know what they're picking. In this game of let's make a deal, you get to see the choices. So if you're Aiken, you're looking at a lifetime's worth of wealth. Okay, the, the amount of metal that he took, the precious metals that he took, was equivalent to what a man would earn his entire lifetime. Okay, this was a lot. Versus God's promise, I will sustain you, I will protect you. Right. So you have this thing that I can reach and I can take, that I can control, versus a promise of a God who says, I got you. That was the choice he had. And in a way, that's the choice that we have too, right? Because um, we all take shortcuts to think, I can do this a little better. Even if the advice sounds a little odd, versus I can do it myself. So, um, Aiken, a man of trouble, and uh, hopefully we can uh, learn from that. We we probably better better wrap up. Any uh, any other thoughts on this? Yeah, the things that we're tempted with are usually tempting, right? That's the point. <laughs> when, you, when he baits the hook, he baits it with bait that we're inclined to chomp on. You know? And always that we think we can handle. We don't go fishing with, you know, chunks of wood on our bait. Unless they're painted really pretty. Uh, you know, we use something a little more tempting than that. And, and Satan does that. But every every time, we're taking that we're taking that choice. All right, let's uh, let's close. Father, I do thank you for the one man, Jesus, the God man, who has really made it all right and has offered us a place, has offered us a family, has offered us fellowship, has offered us forgiveness. We thank you for the absolute best deal that we could have, and I pray that that we continue to um, make choices that honor that covenant and we stay away from things that uh, involve our own uh, selfishness and our own arrogance, our own pride, and uh, that we learn to do things your way. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would prompt us in that direction. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.